Go ahead and have your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5. We'll be there soon. Right now, God is seated on his heavenly throne, being worshipped by the entire heavenly host. That's what the text that, that Phil just read. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty is being sung right now. You realize that that's being sung right now. As we sit here in the heavens, around the throne, angels and elders and creatures are falling before him, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain is also being sung right now. The Father and the Son are being glorified and worshipped in heaven as we speak. And what is happening in heaven is to be a picture of what is to be done in all of creation, what's to be done here on earth. God created all things, ultimately, so that he would be worshipped, that he would be glorified. And he specifically made man in his image as the pinnacle of creation, that man would enjoy God and worship him. And so we're going to look at a few things today, and uh, one of the first ones is just the purpose of man. We're just going to see, so, so what are we created to do? Is it really that we're created to, to worship God? And we've read two passages, so I'm going to read another one. I believe this one, I believe it's up on the screen, Colossians 1, 15 to 20. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. In him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the first he is be, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So notice Paul says in Colossians, for by him, referring to Jesus, for by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. So just think, Everything you see, everything you know, has been created by Jesus. Including all the authorities. Everyone who sits on a throne. There is no throne, no rule, nothing that Jesus has not made. And because he has made it, there's no throne, there's no authority that is greater than him. Jesus has made every authority. Jesus is the supreme authority. No, and a side note, so last week we did, we did the message and we were going to do questions afterwards. Remember that? We didn't do any questions. For one, I kind of went long and, and totally forgot. Uh, so just, we're also going to do questions at the end of here. So I think you have the phone number at the bottom of your handouts if you want to text anything. And then also, if, if you don't text or you don't like texting, you can raise your hand and we'll try to do a few questions at the end of this also. So if you do have any questions, um, we want to field those. And if you have a question from last week, if you can still remember that, we will attempt to answer that also. Remember, the hard ones go to Phil. The easier ones, I will do. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I will so throw him under the bus. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. Uh, as we keep reading, what we see is that all things are created through Jesus, but notice, and for Jesus. There's nothing that exists or ever will exist that does not come through Jesus Christ. 
And so why do all things exist? For Jesus. Everything exists for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. He sustains everything, meaning he holds everything together in existence. And creation, ultimately, is for the glory of God. So which means man and woman, you and I, made in the image of God, not just physical, but also the fact that we think, we have emotions and affections, and everything about us that were made in the image of God was ultimately so that we would glorify God, that we would worship Him. According to the Westminster Catechism, which is basically a large document uh, that kind of summarizes a lot of the Christian beliefs, I believe is, is very accurate here. It says, the purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And the reason we have enjoy Him forever is you can't worship if there's not enjoyment, if there's not affections. Otherwise, we'd be kind of robotic. Well, I have to do this. But it's we worship Him and we glorify Him and our affections are completely towards Him also. We love Him. Purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We've been made to worship God. So if we look at earth... Is that what happens right now? Is that what we're overwhelmed with? Wow, this world just glorifies God. Well, no. We read in Genesis 3 that sin came into the world and distorted all of creation. And Romans 1 is a really good passage. Uh, I encourage you to read that later. And it really talks about because of sin, man has rejected the worship of God as creator and he worships creation. And it just kind of walks through what that looks like. Man has rejected God. And so we don't want to believe in, in the one true triune God. We want to believe in, in creation. We want to believe in stars. We want to believe in the moon. We want to believe in things that we can make and things that we can see. So no longer does man glorify God and enjoy him. And so the word we use is man is totally depraved, meaning he is sinful in all that he does. No longer does man live according to the purpose of God. And so when you look at the world and you see child abuse and broken marriages and neglect and pain and suffering, dictators and murders and everything else, it's because of sin. It's because sin has come into the world and it's distorted the purpose of man. No longer do we worship God, but we worship creation. The perfect world God has made is broken. This is where in verses 19 to 20 in Colossians, it's so amazing. It says, for in him, so in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, which means when Christ came to earth, he was 100% God still. He's 100% man and 100% God. The full God had dwelled within him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So we see Jesus came for ministry of reconciliation with the purpose of reconciling. He died on a cross that we'd be forgiven of our sins. We'd be made new, given a new identity, which is what we've looked at. We become disciples. We become family. We become servants. Today we're going to see that we become missionaries and we worship God. Jesus had a mission because worship did not exist. It's important to see that. His mission is to come to earth because worship doesn't exist here. He comes to earth to die on a cross, reconciling us to himself that we would what? That we would worship God. And so, we're going to look, if you have your Bible, 2 Corinthians 5, 
We're going to be there and we're going to look at what is the mission of the church. The purpose of man is to glorify God and join him forever. And so as the church, a church that worships God, a church that glorifies God, a church that enjoys God, how do we do that? And so that's what we're going to look at in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And remember the truth that we have gone over the last couple of weeks. What God has done to us, what is it? He also wants to do through Look, you guys are so good. I'm a little bit nervous whenever we do public feedback. Like, are they going to say it? Are they not? Are they going to say something like crazy? And so that's good. Two weeks ago, God sent his son. Okay. Two weeks ago, we studied that God sent his son. Just, I know I'll get a question on that. Um, because of love, he sent his son to this world that we would be made sons. What God has done to us, in love he sent his son that we become sons. Now we love one another as family. Last week we saw Jesus came as a servant that he would serve us ultimately by dying on the cross so that we might become servants and serve others that they would come to know Jesus. And so now we're going to see what God has done in Jesus and now desires that we do as well as we look at the mission of the church. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, and we're going to go to the end of the chapter. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him and for their sake um, died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You might have just seen it. What God has done to us, he now does through us, he came to reconcile that we would now have a message of reconciliation. So verse 20, what do we do? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So a quick preface as we, as we continue. We're looking at several different texts today. We're in Colossians. We're going to be in Corinthians. We're going to be in Romans. We're going to be in Matthew. The goal is normally we're kind of in one text and we kind of go out from there. I didn't do that today. So we're kind of looking more at a broad spectrum of a theme that runs all the way throughout the Bible of how God is a God of missions. He has sent his son a mission that he would come and proclaim the kingdom of God. And we're seeing how he uses people, you, me, his church, his bride, for missions. So that's kind of why we're a little bit of everywhere today. Um, and I try to have all the, the verses in your handout so you can go back and look at fuller context and stuff like that today um, or later this week. But a little bit of a side note. So verse 18 says, God through Christ, has reconciled to himself. And how did he do that? He did that at the, at the cross. Again, I was nervous. He did that at the cross. And the word reconcile means that God has forgiven us of our sins and is now at peace with us um, because 
The Son came and absorbed the wrath of God. Remember, we saw that a couple weeks ago in John 3. He was our propitious offering. He was the wrath-absorbing offering that then we could be at peace with God and have a relationship with God. Through Christ, we're reconciled to God. We're brought to God and have a peaceful relationship with God because Christ has absorbed the wrath. And by faith in him, we become sons and daughters also. And so who are we? Verse 20 says, we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is someone who represents someone else. God has saved us through Christ that we now represent Christ here on earth. And we could just do a whole message series on how do we represent Christ. We could go through the fruit of the Spirit with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We could spend dozens of messages on how we represent Christ. That's literally what we did the last two weeks. We're family. We love one another like family. That's how we represent Christ. We serve one another as Christ has. That's how we represent Christ. And today we'll see that we also are missionaries. In verse 18, it says, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Meaning we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with all people that they would be reconciled to God. If you look at verse 20, the end of it, or the middle of it, it says, God making his appeal through us. So the whole point is that we have been ambassadors for, we are now ambassadors for Christ, that God makes his appeal through us. The gospel goes through us as we proclaim it to the world that others would be reconciled to God. That's the mission of the church. We're to go and tell all people about the gospel so they'd be forgiven, reconciled to God, worship God as we were created to do, and tell others about the gospel. That's the mission of the church. Why is it the mission? Well, Jesus came from heaven to earth on a mission of reconciliation because worship does not exist here on earth. That's why. That's why he came. And so now we, the church, who are now filled with the Spirit of Christ, go out into the world with a ministry of reconciliation as our mission because worship does not exist. You see how what God has done with Christ coming, he now does through us that we continue proclaiming a message of reconciliation that people would come to know God. They'd be reconciled to God. And they would ultimately worship God. The church on earth is involved on missions because here on earth, worship doesn't exist. What God has done to us, he now does through us. He came to reconcile through Christ. Now, with Christ in us, we preach a message of reconciliation. And this is nothing new. What Paul is saying here, he did not make up himself. It's what Jesus said back in Matthew 28. And so Matthew 28, which many of you know is the Great Commission, as we look at verses 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's just make three observations here. Number one, Jesus has all authority in creation. Well, that makes sense, because in Colossians, we saw that he made everything, and everything exists because of him, and everything exists for him. So he has all authority, which means he is 
of every, wow, that was weird, just totally went out. He's the owner of every proton, neutron, and electron that exists. He's the authority of everything. This means the missions he gives to the church is not optional. So as he says, you're to go therefore and make disciples, that's not, well, I don't know. It comes with all authority, the one who made everything. It also means that we go forward with the full authority of God. So it's not just that we, we must go, but that we're free to go. Imagine you, you're watching a little boy walk through the White House, and he just starts moving stuff. He starts grabbing tables and chairs and pushing them. He creates a tent, maybe. And he, just, he just makes himself at home. He's doing whatever he wants, and you're just kind of watching this and all going, you can't do this. Like, these things are, are here for a reason, and you can't just go moving this around. And so you run to the kid, and you explain all this to him. And he goes, well, my dad's the president. And he told me I can do this. The authority of the father has freed the child that he would be able to live in that way. The authority of Christ frees us as the church that we would able that we'd be able to go and tell all the world about the gospel. So the authority, it doesn't just compel us to go, it frees us to go. We're not going in our power, in our authority. We're going forward so that even as the world resists us, even as the world persecutes, and whatever that can look like, we've been freed to go. We have the full authority of the Godhead with us. We also see Jesus commands the church to make disciples of all people groups. Now, it's important here. When it says nations, the word nations refers to people groups. So that way, if we look at the country of India... We're referring to not just one nation, but 2,500 people groups that exist in India. And according to the JoshuaProject.net, and I put that in your, in your bulletin, check out that website. It's all about um, unreached people groups and reached people groups and how the gospel is going forward in the world right now. It's a great resource. It's a great website just to know what is happening in the world. And according to them, there are 17,000 people groups in the world. Of these 17,000 people groups, approximately 7,286 are unreached. That is 43% of all people groups, and that makes up about 2.9 billion people. So according to the Joshua Project, an unreached people group is defined as a people group with less than 2% evangelical Christian. So it's less than 2%. And in many cases, there's 0% in these 7,000 people groups that are left. And the reason that these ones are left is because they're the hardest, is because it's some of the most dangerous to go to, is because we have to translate the Bible just to get into that language. There are a ton of barriers that are there. So this is a massive mission we've been given. This is a massive mission. It is huge. And it it could make us anxious. It could seem overwhelming. It could make us feel help, hopeless. It may be even helpless. Like, how are we going to do this? But is the mission too big? In one sense, yeah, it's way too big. You and I can't do it. We can't do it. But it's not too big for God. And that brings us kind of to our next point, that Jesus strengthens us and encourages us with his presence. Jesus says, I will never leave you. I will be with you always to the end of the age. 
He strengthens us and encourages us and comforts us with his presence so we can fulfill the mission. So what does that look like? How is it that Jesus strengthens us? How is it that we are to the, because of his strength, because of his empowering us, that we go into all nations? Again, we're going to go to a different text today. They're all woven together. We're going to a different text. Acts 1.8. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This might be one of those familiar texts for you. Jesus is explaining what's it to look like in the world. What is the church supposed to do until he returns again? And he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in Luke, he makes the point, do not go out until you've received the power of the Spirit. And here, he says, you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and when he has come upon you, then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So a couple observations. Again, Jesus commands us to go into all the world proclaiming the gospel. He does not list Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth as options. It's not a multiple choice. It's not pick which one you like. He's saying, no, this is, this is where you go. You are to go everywhere. And this is what we see that happens throughout the book of Acts. It starts in Jerusalem, and because of persecution, they spread Judea, Samaria, and eventually they're going to the very ends of the earth, which is what we continue today. And so how is it the church is going to accomplish this massive mission? How is it that we go forward? How is it that Jesus encourages us with his presence? It takes us to the power of the church. The power of the church. And we see the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. The church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. So not only is Christ at the right hand of God, seated as He governs all things, but He has given His Spirit to dwell within every single believer that He would literally be with us, in us, dwelling with us helping us accomplish the mission that he has called us to do. And in Acts 1.8, Jesus is saying, you wait for the Spirit. When the Spirit has come upon you, then you will go. In the beginning of chapter 2, what we see is that the Spirit comes upon the church. They're there praying, most likely praying uh, for boldness, most likely praying for the Spirit, most likely praying over various things that happened in the ministry of Jesus. And we see that the Holy Spirit comes upon them and it's this picture of like tongues of fire comes and rests upon them and then they're filled with Spirit. And what happens? They rush out and they do what? They speak. They begin speaking and proclaiming the gospel. Crowds gather around. Peter stands up. He shares the gospel and 3,000 people are added to the church on day one. That's pretty cool. Like, that's, that's cool. It's okay to say cool. You can say awesome, neat. Rad is a little outdated. But that's awesome. Spirit comes upon them. They rush out. You know, it's not like the Spirit comes upon them. Well, what do we do? Let's have a town hall meeting. Maybe we need a church meeting. Maybe we should have a business meeting. No. They just, they go. There's no, like, what do we do? They're compelled held to go out into the street. And if you look at the book of Acts, 97 times in this book are the words preach, proclaim, gospel, witness, and speak are used. And most every time it's used for the speaking of the gospel going out. The whole purpose, 
When the Spirit of Christ comes upon the church, the church goes and they preach, they proclaim the gospel, they witness, and they speak. We are given the Holy Spirit that we proclaim the gospel. This is why there's one of the primary reasons. There's many reasons. One of the primary reasons is that we would share the gospel. You do not need to pray if you're to share the gospel. You will not find one prayer in the Bible going, God, should we share the gospel? It is not one prayer in there asking if we should. The church never questions. What do they pray, though? God, give us boldness that we would continue to share the gospel. And you can go through Acts and find that. And what's neat, there's instances of like the ground starting to shake. And what happens is the ground shakes, and they know that God has answered them. And then what do they do? They go out and speak the gospel with boldness. Never do they ask if they're to, to share the gospel. They've been given the Spirit, and they're compelled to go out and testify about Christ. If you remember, in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and we looked at this several weeks ago in Luke chapter 3, Jesus is baptized, and the Spirit comes and dwells upon him. And what happens right after Jesus receives the Spirit? He goes into the wilderness, faces temptation, and then it says, full of the Spirit, he goes out proclaiming the message of the kingdom. Full of the Spirit, he now goes out for ministry. You and I have been given the same Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, who now dwells within us, that we would be empowered just as Christ came to go forward and do the ministry in the power of the Spirit. Remember, what God has done to us, he now does through us. As God, as Christ came full of the Spirit, now he sends us out full of the Spirit. And so let's, let's summarize this where we're at. And we're, going to do, we're going to ask those four questions. Who is God? What has he done? Who are we? What do we do? The first week, we saw that God was Father, and that the Father sent the Son so that we could become sons. Last week, we saw that the Son came to serve us, and therefore we have become servants. Here, we see the Spirit. Um, we see that who is God? God is Spirit. We're looking at the, the triune nature of God. We see Father, Son, Spirit, and we see the Spirit is God. So who is God? God is Spirit. What has the Spirit done through Christ? Well, the Spirit empowered Jesus for the ministry of reconciliation, that he would preach that message, and that he would go to the cross, ultimately achieving it. And now the same Spirit empowers you and I. And so who are we? Well, because the Spirit dwells within us, we are followers of Christ. We are ambassadors and missionaries. Because the Spirit who indwelled Jesus to empower him for his ministry now indwells us that we'd be empowered for our ministry. And so what do we do? We are empowered by the Spirit that we would go into all the world proclaiming a message of reconciliation, that we'd proclaim the gospel. We are empowered by the Spirit that we would go into the world go into all the world proclaiming a message of reconciliation. We proclaim the gospel because we have been reconciled by Jesus, filled with the Spirit of Christ, and now are empowered to tell others about Jesus. We've been given the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, that we would speak, that we would proclaim Jesus. Now, I realize it's easy at this moment to sit in this chair and be like, okay, and Nick says from God's word, that we're supposed to be missionaries, not heads. But if we're honest, that probably feels about as good as a kick in the stomach for some of you. 
if not most of you. You're going, wait a minute. If I'm a missionary, then God expects me to go out? This is most, the way churches operated a lot in the United States is we pay for other people to go do missions. We'll pay for, uh, for, for people to go to foreign places, to, to the ends of the earth, to reach and unreached people groups, and we'll pay them to tell the gospel. And that's not bad to do. We need to send people. We sent Paul and Barnabas in the early, in the early church. Silas, Timothy, other people were sent. Other times, I've even seen where churches will pay for other ministries to do a whole bunch of local work. And we pay for them to do missions, even in the context of where we live. And we go home, and we say, man, we're doing a good job for the mission of the church, because we paid for all these other people to do it. I'm not saying it's bad to pay. We need to do that, and we are called to speak. We're called to go out. And I know that some of you have been also told, well, but I don't have the gift of evangelism. So really, we'll leave that for the people with the gift of evangelism, and they can do it. And, and I love the people with the gift of evangelism. I don't actually feel like I have that gift. Um, but I, I love people that do that, can just sit in a room with someone, and they can just like share the gospel just so incredibly easily. Uh, you know those kind of people. It's like they... You can't sit with them for five minutes without somehow, yeah, I do want to know the gospel. And it's amazing how they do that. My grandfather was one of those. But imagine if we use that same mentality with like hospitality. Hospitality is being loving to strangers. I don't have the gift of hospitality, therefore I don't have to be nice to strangers. I don't have the gift of prayer, therefore I don't have to pray. I'll just leave that to the experts, the ones with the gift. It's silly, isn't it? Now, there are people who can pray, really have a gift, that they probably pray even more than other people do. There are people with a gift of hospitality, that they're over and abundantly being hospitable to others. But that doesn't mean we aren't being hospitable. That doesn't mean that we aren't loving on other people. Well, he's got the gift of patience. I don't. <laughs> you just know when you come to me, I'm not going to be patient because I don't have that gift. Well, you have the Spirit, and one of his fruits is patience. Some of us are going to display those things a lot better than others, right? I mean, we all know that. You're like, yeah, I'm not the patient one. It doesn't mean that we also don't do that. One thing clearly we see in all of Scripture is that the church has been empowered with the Spirit that we proclaim the gospel. We're all called to proclaim the gospel. Some are going to do that on a full-time paid basis, but all of us will do it on a full-time basis. All of us will do it on a full-time basis. And let us remember who we're telling the world about. First, we're not telling them about a good product. We're not telling them how to make money. We're not telling them a way how to grow more hair. Or some other, you know, great little problem solver technique. And that's not what we're selling. In fact, this last week, I'm over at uh, one of the coffee shops, and I felt so bad. There's these two guys, and they kind of have this other guy trapped, and they're selling him on their pyramid scheme. It's a legal one. I checked it out. Uh, but I was just like, this guy, I mean... You could tell they were just drilling in on him. And they even said, look, you do this, and then you only need to get a few other people to do it. And tell them, we'll come wash their cars if they'll do it. We'll do whatever you got to take to make the sale. And, and so they're, they're going to come wash cars and other things to convince this guy that this is a good idea. And so they can get more and more people going. It's not what we do. We're not selling a product. We're not selling Jesus because he fixes this part of your life or somehow makes you a little bit better. 
We're telling them about the God who created everything. Just think about who we're telling the world about. We're telling them, we're telling others about the God who's being worshipped right now in heaven. That literally angels and creatures and elders are falling down, worshipping holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We're telling others about the God who's making all things new and one day makes a new heaven and new earth. We're telling others about the God who sent his son to a cross that by grace would be saved from our sins and would be given eternal life with God. We're telling others about a God who does not make them a little bit better, but he makes them new. New creations dwelling within them. We're telling others about the greatest news that has ever come to this earth, Jesus Christ. This is so much better than some pyramid scheme or some money-making scheme or some product. If we really think about the gospel, then I think we're really questioned with why would we not share it? Why would we not share the gospel? Sharing the gospel is one of the greatest privileges we have as Christians. And it's the only, and it's the only hope this world has. It's the only hope. Let me read a passage from Romans 10. Romans 10, 13 and 15. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now just stop right there. Do you believe that? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Despite race, gender, sex, nationality, doesn't even matter. Social uh, rankings. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Now Paul lists some questions. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Do you hear the questions Paul's asking? I mean, we've seen from scriptures, we're to go into all the world. We're to proclaim the message. Why are we to do this? How will people call on Jesus if they don't believe in him? How? If they have no idea who Jesus is, how are they going to call on him? How are people to believe in Jesus if they've never heard of him? How are people to hear unless someone actually brings them the gospel? Think about it. How? How are they going to know about Jesus unless someone takes them the word of God and proclaims to them the message? How will someone speak the gospel if they're not sent? This is what we see in Acts. Continually sending missionaries to other people. That people would hear about the gospel. I've heard some people say, well, if God wants someone to be saved, well, then he'll save them. And then they walk away as if they have no personal responsibility. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you feel that way. Yes, we're all to be missionaries. Someone needs to go save those people. Yes, they need to be saved. And they'll only be saved if someone tells them the gospel. I hope somebody does that. That's in essence a lot of times what we say. And we forget that, he, that God uses the church to save people. He uses the church to proclaim the message of reconciliation. He loves to use us as his instruments to proclaim the gospel. And the only way any of the 7,286 people groups will come to know Christ is if someone goes to them. Otherwise, every one of those people in those people groups will go to hell. This is, this is, this is huge. The only way people come to know Christ is if they have the gospel. The only way unreached people groups will have the gospel is if somebody reaches them with the gospel. The only way that happens is by churches sending people. So yeah, we need to pay. 
We need to have money, but we need to send people. We need to send people. And at 7,286 people groups, there's a lot of sending that needs to go. The only way someone believes in Jesus is if someone is sent to them to preach the gospel. And that's why he's given us his spirit. That we'd be compelled. That we'd be freed. That we'd want to go. So let's look at the strategy of the church. According to, according to Acts, the church is to go into all the world. According to Matthew, the church is to go to all people groups. We could look at other texts, but I think those kind of cover everything. The whole world, all people groups. I don't think that leaves anything out. The strategy of the church is to proclaim the gospel to those who are far and to those who are near. The strategy of the church must be to proclaim those who are far, reached and unreached people groups, and to those who are near, in 98503 or whatever your zip code is in the Lacey Olympia area. Let's just look at these. We're all involved in the near ministry. We are all involved in the near ministry. This is where we are right now. We're all called to be missionaries right here in our neighborhoods, um, to our co-workers, in our houses, um, at the grocery store, wherever we are, we're called to be missionaries. And that can sound scary. And rather than spending a lot of time on this point, I'm going to say come to the class on Wednesday nights of Everyday Church because that's what we're looking at. How do we live as the church, as family missionary and servants here in this world that we're a light in this world? Not only how do we love one another and build each other up, but also how even in the fact that we love one another, we're a light to other people. And how do we as a body love the community that we're in? So that's what we're going to be addressing for 13 weeks. I can't emphasize it enough. It's going to be good to come in and be radical and you will have your life shaken and you're going to be saying things like, you mean we got to like do church every day? Like God saved us to be a part of the church like all the time. Yeah. And we're going to see what that looks like. And so it's going to be hard. It's going to be scary. But let me just, a little bit of ease. It's not done just all by yourself. It's not about just living by yourself, but how do we do in community? We're going to be at our, by ourselves at times, but also how do we reach the neighborhoods that we're in with the community of the church? So we're all involved in the near ministry. We're also all involved in the far ministry. Let me just point out three ways how. We need to prayer. We have to pray. It's only going to happen if we're in prayer. Praying for people groups around the world praying especially for unreached people groups, that God would be sending people, that God would send us, that God would send other people, that somehow the gospel would make it their way into these places. That God would, we also need to be praying for the countries and areas that are missionaries that we support in. One thing I'm hoping that we do more as a church is that we highlight where our missionaries are regularly in our church. We need to know what they're doing. The ones who we are supporting um, foreign, in, in the foreign ministry what are they doing? What does that look like? We need to constantly be knowing so we know how to be praying. So we need to be in prayer. Number two, we need mission trips. Short-term and long-term. Some of you are retired. That's good news. You can do long-term missions. Three months, six months, longer. That's good news. Some of you aren't able to do that right away. You can do weeks, ten days, maybe two weeks. But we need to do more. Right now we send a team to Poland once a year, and that's great. It's great. We need to do that. And where else? Or what else do we need to do, Paul? Should we be sending more than one team there once a year? And also, where are we going to unreach people groups? 
We need more sh- uh, short-term and long-term. This year, the youth, they're going on a short-term mission trip just in another part of Washington, but that's good. Helping us to regularly get out of our regular context, which it's easy to get kind of sucked into and forget that we're on mission. And to be taken to somewhere else where we're very obviously dependent upon the Spirit for everything that we're doing. We need those regularly. Let us never forget Jesus came on mission to reconcile us to him and now has given us his spirit that we'd be used to reconcile others to Christ. The mission of the church is to make disciples of all nations. And the third point is if we're going to have a strategy on missions, we must have a determined focus on the cross. Like, when I was putting this together, at one point I had a ton of statistics and all that kind of stuff, and I felt like it'd be like guilting us into missions. I was like, man, look at all of this. How are we not more involved? And then you kind of get this guilt and shame. It's like, oh man, we are terrible Christians. We need to do that more and more. I was like, that's, that's so not the way to go. Like, I mean, it's good to have those statistics and all. And we need to use them and wield them prop- properly. We will not create a lasting missions moment, movement by guilt or by shame. The only way that a church that preaches the gospel near and far um, will have a long-lasting missions movement is if we are filled with love and affection for Jesus Christ. It's as we come to the cross regularly, never losing focus of the cross. Because the more we understand that Christ came to die on a cross, that we'd be saved even when we did not deserve it, when we were sinners, when we were his enemies, that's love. And when we know that kind of love, then we go out and we share that love. Let us be filled with joy as we understand that Jesus came to the cross to save us when we did not deserve him. Let us be filled with joy that Jesus saves us by grace and not by works. Isn't that good news? We're saved by grace. Let us be filled with joy that he has prepared a place for us with him forever. And let us be filled with joy that he lives with us through his spirit right now. And let us be filled with joy that we can go out in mission, proclaiming Christ as his ambassadors, as missionaries. Our obedience to missions flows from our overflowing love and worship of Jesus. You hear that? Our obedience to missions flows from our overflowing love and worship for Jesus. The more we love Jesus, the more we're falling in love with him, and that love overflows, it spills into the obedience of missions. It will be unable to be constrained, just like the early church, as soon as they received the Spirit, they went out. Let's close, and as we close, I want, to, uh, I want us to ask two things. I want us to ask God to help us grow in missions near and far. And I want us to ask God to reveal how he's leading us to serve in both near and far missions. I desire for the day when we know that we are regularly sending out people from our church short-term and long-term missions. And we can be celebrating what God has even done in this body of the sending of people. So let's pray, and then we'll have some questions. Our Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you. You sent your Son to earth to die on a cross that we'd be saved and tell others about you. And I ask for boldness that we would proclaim your name in all the world. I, I ask for your boldness. I ask for your Spirit to help us. God, take away fears that we have Help us to rest that you are in control. 
that God, you and all your authority have given us the command to go and to make disciples and you are with us. We are not alone. God, I thank you for your spirit who compels us. God, help us by your spirit to love other people, reached and unreached people groups. Help us to know that we are ambassadors, that we are missionaries for you. Help us to be a light right here in Lacey and all of Washington and all the world. God, I pray that you ignite a fire within us for missions that will not be quenched until the day you come. In your name, Jesus, amen. So do we have questions?